Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. We've all been there. You work like a dog and yet there are no signs of appreciation for management. Worse still, everyday inflation eats a little more out of your paycheck. If you like your job and don't want to quit, there's really only one good option at this point. You have to ask for a raise. However, this is something that a lot of us find very scary and intimidating. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the ways to make this process easier. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I have a contract in my inbox that I've got to sign tonight um, on a book deal. So that's the biggest thing right now, other than just a crushing amount of work at the day job. I'm involved in multiple business critical processes right now. And like, I think three or four of them are kind of coming to a head all at the same time. So it has been very interesting trying to juggle all this stuff and the book stuff on the side. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited. It's a lot of good stuff coming, but holy cow, is it hard. So how about you? Well, I am back from Code Mash. That was awesome. Uh, The conference is huge. And a lot of fun, by the way. Um, You were not kidding about the water park. That was great. Went down every single slide. Though, uh, you know the one, uh, the toilet bowl one where you go down by yourself and then you like spin around and then it drops you out into like six and a half feet of water? Yeah. So I get on there to go down and uh, our friend Greg Beamer, he was there with me. And uh, he's like, oh, by the way, uh, it's not a small drop. He's like, it's a big drop into like about six feet of water. Oh, thanks for telling me. Whoosh, down I go. (laughs) And so I'm spinning around and he had told me as I was going down, he's like, don't go in head first. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like him. (laughs) See, when I did that, I did the one that was the spiral where you ride the little uh, raft or whatever. Yeah, we did that one too. And I didn't realize how shallow the water was at the bottom. And so I rolled backward Mm. off of the raft and busted my head open on the bottom. And then, of course, I went right back up to the top and did it again. I I was careful because you had told me about that. Yeah, because I knew exactly what you do. (laughs) Same (laughs) dumb thing I did. (laughs) So when we were were getting off there, I I, I fell into the water and I was like, man, that really is shallow. Will wasn't kidding. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I remember walking up to the top, you know, the second time and this recruiter girl is behind me and she's like, um, like the back of your head's bleeding. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of like wipe the back of my head and go, ah, bummer. You know, just go down again, you know. It was a lot of fun. I I even tried something new with my talk. I turned it into a discussion where I had specific questions for the audience kind of dispersed throughout the slides. I do need to work on moving around more. I mean, you see me when we're talking on the podcast, my arms are all over the place, but I've kind of gotten trapped behind the podium because of all the podcasting. I rely on the outline too much. Well, you can't move away from the microphone either. Yeah, uh, there's that too. So 
I need to do more practice in moving around. I know before we started podcasting, when I would do speaking engagements and things like that in other areas, I was always moving around. I rarely stayed behind the podium because that was what I was comfortable with. I would not memorize, but I would learn specific things in the outline and then I could just go off of them. And I need to get back to that for the speaking, but we try to stay pretty strict to the outline with the the podcast because we've got a time constraint and having two of us talking, I don't know what you're going to say and what stories you're going to tell. So it's, it's hard to gauge time as much with that. Yeah. Getting either of us off topic on, on basically speakerphone is not a good idea. On the home front, I've been working on my office. I found all of the audio equipment I bought way back when we live streamed my wedding. You were there. You you did the networking for it and, and ran the wires at the uh, the venue. That was um, such a circus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Because it was pouring down rain. Like it was like a Louisiana rainstorm. You know, the ones that the rain is more like sideways like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of you guys that don't know, this occurred years before Facebook Live ever came out. There really wasn't a live streaming platform back then. We actually used a service that was built for small newscasts, like small local news for that. And afterwards, uh, Will and another friend of mine and I talked about building a streaming service for weddings and other big life events because there wasn't anything. Unfortunately, nothing ever came of it because, you know, I was in med school and everybody else had other life events going on. And then the live streaming services started coming out and it was like, well, what's the point now? They've already built it. We were, we were wanting to build something and get bought by one of them. <laughs> yeah. They had actual capital yeah. and time and expertise. We, I mean, we had bits and pieces, but it would have been tricky to put all that together with what everybody's lives were like. Exactly. So speaking of streaming, I've got a cool platform for streaming in IOTs. This is called Livestream, and it's a platform for real-time video and data streaming. It supports all sorts of IoT devices. Your video streams can come from drones, wearables, fixed or mobile cameras. It's really cool how they incorporate a lot of different things. And the video and associated data can also be monitored live. You can even record and analyze the stream. They also have a really cool looking dashboard. And this is um, a really neat product, but it is more at the enterprise level. So it may not be for the average hobbyist, maybe for someone who is sort of hobby business. But uh, I have a link to it in the show notes. Definitely check it out. It's really cool. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an iTunes review from Roach underscore Kyle saying, I started listening to this podcast because a friend recommended it to me. I've been hooked ever since. Will and Beach produce great, high-quality podcasts with a wide variety of topics from in-depth shows on Boolean algebra to soft skills, like preparing for interviews. My favorite episode so far has been the one on salary negotiations. Having perspectives from both an experienced dev and junior dev, along with the hilarious nature of the show, has made this one of my favorite podcasts. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, Kyle, we're really glad you enjoy the show. Uh, We picked your comment specifically for this episode because... We're talking about not salary negotiation, but raise negotiation in this episode. 
send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a Complete Developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes, comment on the website, or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Google+, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Clubhouse.io. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. Clubhouse provides the perfect balance of simplicity and structure for better cross-functional collaboration. Easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project while also being able to zoom out to see how that work is contributing towards the bigger picture. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day, getting out of your way so that you can deliver quality software on time. As listeners of Complete Developer Podcast, you guys can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash complete developer. Asking for a raise is difficult for most of us. There are a lot of reasons for this, but chief among them is that it is a really uncomfortable situation. Not only does the boss have more power and more information, but you have all the risk, or at least you feel like you do. This dynamic results in many people only getting tiny raises or no raises at all, sometimes for years. Power and information asymmetry in this process is difficult to overcome, but it can be done. More importantly, it has to be done. If you have any big dreams at all, you probably need some money to accomplish them. If you have kids, a spouse, dreams of going on a nice vacation, retiring, or even building your own business, getting money is going to be a part of that. However, asking for more money feels like a huge risk to all of those things. After all, what happens when the boss gets upset and you ask for more money? Yeah, in this episode, we're going to talk through some of these things. Not only do we want to help you feel more comfortable asking for a raise, assuming that you're providing value, but we're also going to give you a strategy for doing so that drastically reduces the risk. We're going to start with a discussion of why it's difficult to ask for a raise and follow up with how to overcome each of these things. So starting off, what are some of the reasons that asking for a raise is difficult? First is the psychological aspect. You know, we're taught not to talk about money as children, and this carries over into work. Yeah, I mean, I have been at places where somebody left a pay stub on their desk and showed a you know high pay rate and their office mate was not making as much and had more experience. Like I'm talking like a you know 40k difference, and the fallout from that um, at that organization was profound because this you know the other person now is trying to undercut this guy that's getting paid more. And yeah, it it went went south very very quickly. I've I've seen that happen several times, but like that was the worst, right? And a lot of this comes out of this is why we don't talk about money is because mm-hmm. people get ticked. Real fast. But we're also afraid to rock the boat. Like you, you don't want to risk losing what you've got by going for something better. Yeah. It's almost a, uh, it's like a cross between learned helplessness and sunk cost. In addition, we're supposed to be humble 
And asking for a raise sounds like the opposite of that. I, uh... Okay, we're not supposed to be humble, uh, but people that don't have podcasts and aren't narcissists, presumably, oh, okay. uh, you know, we is like the, <laughs> the, the royal third person we are supposed to be humble, right? Uh, be it, being humble is considered to be a virtue in many circles and for many people. And so it mm-hmm. feels like you are somewhat betraying that by going, hey, look, I'm worth more than that. You got to pay me more. Next is the information asymmetry. Yeah. Your boss has got a better idea of company finances than you do. Probably. Unless you work in finance. Yeah. Or unless, <laughs> or, you know, or unless the, you know, main company database is inadequately protected and you're <laughs> a moderately skeezy person, you know, like, yeah, you're, they're going to have more information. Because mm-hmm. the stuff that's not relevant to you is relevant to them. And it's hard to jump into a situation asking for more money when you don't know if there's more there. The boss also probably knows what your coworkers are paid and can compare metrics. Uh, now, part of this too is, and this goes back to the salary negotiation, some people are better at negotiating than others. Yeah, some people actually do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of situations where you know, it's come out that somebody was getting paid more than somebody else. And it's like, well, there's no difference in skill, but this other person negotiated and had leverage. Whereas this guy was like, yeah, sure. I'll take whatever I can get. And part of it is negotiation skill. Part of it is where you are in life and what, what you need, because the person who took whatever they could get, they could have been, I absolutely have to have a job. So I'll take whatever they offer. Or they could be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, yo, I really don't need anymore. So, you know, I'm comfortable where I'm at. There are people that are just like, you know, I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to. A lot of them turn out to be people that do that are the nine to five developers. Yeah. They get to a point where they're comfortable and and that's okay. Or they don't have that many expenses. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I've known developers that had six figure incomes that lived in a one bedroom apartment. And didn't go on vacation. They're just like, I don't really go on vacation. I go fishing. Well, this goes back to a conversation that uh, I had with my family over Christmas where uh, my mom said something and my, my youngest sister, she was like, yeah, but you know, BJ makes more than two of us combined. And yeah. like, no, oh, I work for the government. I make a decent amount, but combined, you guys make more than me. And, and you like, also yeah, don't have debt like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've got some expenses in the mix there too. Like they're not having to pay for a software development machine if they want to keep their job over the longer term. Yeah. You know, studying at home and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was, it was about sort of like, um, you know, me just being able to go, oh, hey, Nintendo Switch is on sale. I think I'll just go buy one. And it's, yeah, I keep. Yeah, I, I know my personality and my habits, and I keep some discretionary money there for buying random things like that. Yeah. You know, and it's it's less about I make more, which I combined I don't, but um, it's more about like where I am at in life. They've got two kids. They can't just randomly go buy stuff. Right. You know, that that's just not where they are in life anymore. Now, also under this, your boss knows what it costs to replace you. This is in money and time and a lot of other aspects. Right. Including like what it would cost to get a recruiter to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing a lot of people really miss out on is it's like, look, they get a recruiter to find you. They're probably paying 30, 40 K. Yeah. And they're, they're short staffed in between and all that. Like you've got more leverage than you think, but you don't know it. And that's the Mm -hmm. big thing with 
the asymmetry is that you're just not aware of these things. Now, along those lines of asymmetry is the power differential. While you can say, pay me more or I'm out, that's not likely to go well. Like The way you say it has a lot to do with it, too. But your boss could take your request for a pay raise as the last straw and be like, you know what? We're already having issues. We're just going to let them go. I've seen that happen. I've seen somebody go in and uh, you know start pushing for a raise very ham-handedly when they were about to be written up for disciplinary. Yeah. Because, you know, they just kind of didn't work for a couple of days. They were in the office interrupting everybody else, but they didn't work. <laughs> and, you know, then they went and asked for a pay raise. Like I know people like that. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I do not work with people like that. Uh, my team is... Neither do I anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. No, yeah, my, my team probably. is really good. Like the whole, even the the other teams, everybody's really really hard workers. So yeah. And this was a job years ago, but yeah, yeah. There's also a power differential in that the boss tells you what to do and didn't tell you to come ask for a raise. Yeah. So if you time it bad, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's way worse than just asking for a raise because you're not doing what they're paying you to do. And that includes all the research that you should be doing before asking for a raise. Speaking of timing, that can be really difficult. You know, it's really hard to time your request because you can't always predict your boss's mood. Now, some bosses are easier than others to predict. Now, some kind of are more outgoing and they'll they'll let you know when they're in a bad mood or in a good mood. But it, it can be difficult, especially if like you come in and you see your boss. Oh, hey, they're in a good mood right now. They go to a meeting and get chewed out for something and come back. And that's when your scheduled meeting with them is. It can be difficult. Yeah. It really can. And there can be a lot of stuff going on with the company that you don't know about. So especially when you start seeing them, you know, leave with people in suits or like they're in an offsite meeting when those don't happen frequently, that's a danger sign. And it's easy to miss those things because if you've got your head down and you're doing your work, you may not know where your boss is. Now, finally, it's really easy to try to justify these in not so smart ways. Yeah, flat out stupid ways, honestly. Uh, You probably have reasons for wanting a raise, and those reasons don't match the reasons management would want to give you a raise. Like, okay, you've got another kid on the way. Cool. You probably need a raise because that stuff's expensive. Mm -hmm. However, if you go to your manager and and give that as the reason, that's not evidence for anything. It's like, that's not why you're there. (laughs) And it kind of, it's not just that, hey, this isn't a good reason. Let's find a better one. But it shows a tone deafness and a inward focus that's not good. Now we're going to talk about some of the basic rules around asking for a raise. The role that you play in a company has a value that exceeds the value of your total compensation. Yeah, that's why you're there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are making more money on what you're producing than they are spending on you. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business for very long. Let's just be realistic, guys. Um, so long as you don't narrow the gap so much that they can't make money, you should reasonably expect to be able to get a raise. Yeah. The next thing that happens is the company charges more for their product or services than it costs them or they go out of business. This means that your salary comes out of the cost of the product or service. And this is the thing that I think a lot of developers don't quite grasp. I think a lot of people in general don't understand this about how business works. Uh, unless they've been in sales. 
Like, yeah, it or makes, upper this, management. Yeah, this this makes sense to people who have like managed or run their own company or have been in sales where it's it's the sales of the product that you're producing that pay your bills. Even the people that come in and are paid hourly to to do something, it's that income is coming from the sales of the product. Yeah, and I mean you can totally see this just in the way that a lot of developers treat marketing people and salespeople. It's like, look, these are the people that are making sure that you make a living. Like mm-hmm. And, and the contempt and the attitudes that come up, like it's very widespread. So it's obvious that this is something people don't grasp. And what this means is that if you're instrumental in raising the value of the thing that the company is selling, raising the amount sold or lowering the cost of creating the product, then you have negotiating leverage because now there's room for your salary to move into. Next, the cost of living is going up at a rate that exceeds inflation. Yeah, especially the reported rate. Um, yeah. In a lot of places, it's several times as fast. Like Nashville. Yeah, it's it's drastically because so many people are coming in that, what was it? In 2010, when I left for medical school, I had an apartment that was a two-bedroom in one of the nicest areas of town. And I came back in 2014, and it was almost triple the price. Yeah, the they went value- from being. Yeah, they, they, the thing is that because people were coming in, but they also went from being a regular apartment, quotes, to a luxury apartment, in quotes. Does that mean you got a ceiling fan? I have no idea. It Nothing changed about it. I didn't end up going there because I'm like, I am not paying for the exact same place that I had four years ago. I'm not paying three times as much. Yeah. I mean, I look at the um, the price we paid for our house and what it is worth on Zillow. Now, of course, now I know Zillow can kind of be a little bit high sometimes anyway, but the amount that it went up by, it's absolutely insane, like in four years. Um, And I don't want to get too much into details on that, obviously, but let's just say that I'm happy with my investment. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. If I was on the buying side of the equation, I would be very unhappy. So, like, this stuff is going up faster than, you know, your pay rate is going. Uh, And that means that if you're getting like a cost of living adjustment, and that's all you're getting, then you're actually losing money because they're going to base that around the rate of inflation at best, not you know some multiple of it, which is the real rate of inflation. Um, if you look at government reports, they leave out, uh, was it food, fuel, uh, was it medical care, housing, and I think transportation when they figure out the inflation rate. So it's basically like all the stuff you need to actually survive is not in that calculation. Now, the price of you know, pig iron is in there. And if you could live on pig iron, then you're not human. So <laughs> that it applies to you, but otherwise it does not. But they still use those numbers. Well, what you have to understand is that standing still is just another way of saying falling behind. Yeah. Some sectors of the economy are getting more expensive faster than the cost of living. Uh, we, we talked about the housing market, medical care and insurance. Are another one, as well as education. Now, I I noticed this what about ten years ago when my little sister was in college and I was in grad school. Now, mind you, she went to a private college and uh, the one that you and I went to, but and I was at a state school. What she was paying per semester hour for undergrad was more than I was paying for graduate classes. Yeah, easily. And, yeah, you know, and it's just it's just crazy. Even if you aren't being squeezed by these yet. You're just a life changer to away from having that experience. 
Yeah. For instance, if you decide to start a family, um, I know we've got a lot of listeners that are probably in an age range where they get married, they decide, okay, we're going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Well, you could potentially get hit with all of those except for the education in the first year. You might have to buy a new car. You're probably going to have to do something with your housing. Like if you're in a two-bedroom apartment and one of them's an office, you may have to get a three, right? Yeah. You know, There's all these other expenses that come up, and it's very, very, very expensive. You know, healthcare, like when my daughter was born, now granted, she was in the NICU. That bill that we got was absolutely insane. I don't like if we had not had insurance, we would not have paid it off yet. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So now we're going to talk about how to overcome the psychological aspect. First off, you need to be doing this well in advance of asking for a raise. Yeah, don't go in there not having this in order and try to bluff your way through it. That's, you know, there's too much money on the table to be screwing around with this. Mm-hmm. Well, not only. Will these things improve your odds of getting a raise, but they will help you in salary negotiations for your future jobs. Yeah. Uh, The first thing is getting over the feeling that you don't have any options. You don't have negotiating leverage if you can't leave. Mm -hmm. And you need to go in with the, the assurance that you have other options. Full confidence that you do. By the way, if you're in software development in the United States, for sure... Uh, Unless you have just really weird extenuating circumstances, you do have this right now. To fix this, you need to find out if you could get a job somewhere else. For a lot of developers, just a simple search of available jobs in the area is enough to convince them that they can find one. At least, like you said, in the current economic situation. If your skills are a little bit behind, then that might be an area that you focus on and build them up, regardless of whether you're going for a raise or not. Yeah, a lot of these things that are in this list are things that you should be doing anyway because it's part of the feedback loop that makes it where you can be employed somewhere else if you lose Mm -hmm. this job. Now, the next thing is being afraid to talk about money. And look, I totally get this. I was raised that you don't do that. It was really, really squirrely for me when my parents started talking to me about like estates and stuff, you know, my grandparents' estates and then theirs. Mm -hmm. And Like that is a thoroughly uncomfortable conversation. You know, there's the aspect of people dying that you love, right? But it's also like they didn't, they didn't really, I won't say that they didn't talk about money, but it was limited in context. Whereas this was a lot more open and most of us are raised that way. However, this doesn't apply when you're trying to sell something, whether it's a product or your labor. Uh, Now, this doesn't bother me as much, but I also have a lot of, sales experience, years of sales yeah. experience that um, that you don't have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got like plenty direct of sales. It. Yeah. I got plenty of it when I was having to negotiate my pay rate for contracts. Yeah. And that's when I kind of got over a lot of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's jarring. And the best way to fix this is to start having money discussions in a low stakes environment. Now, Noah Kagan, who founded AppSumo, suggests trying to get a discount on coffee at a coffee shop, right? Mm-hmm. Just try to talk through a discount. Now, there's a guy that you and I went to school with. Uh, his name was Wilbert, and I cannot remember what his last name was. And he was from South America. And he and I were hanging out in the mall one time, and I saw a subwoofer that I wanted because I was like, you know, I wanted a nice sound system. And it was 300 bucks. And I'm like, that's ah, too much. He's like, how much will you pay? It's 250. He talked him down. <laughs> That sounds like him. Yeah. And then, and then I, you know, and of course we were out after curfew. So I had to sneak a subwoofer back into the dorm. 
um, that was a big subwoofer. Um, so that was a difficult run across the roof of the head residence apartment. <laughs> I remember those days. <sighs> yeah. I was in a different dorm, so sneaking in was a little bit different than that. But yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is he was not afraid to talk about money. And look, he saved he saved a friend 50 bucks with very, very little effort. And you need to get where you're comfortable with that. And you've got to do it in a place where you don't feel like you're going to be homeless if it fails. Yeah. Um, so I think my, my growing up experience was also a bit different than yours because I did talk with my parents about money a lot. Um, a lot of times it was, you know, when I was a young teenager, 13, 14, I want to go to the movies with my friends. Well, that costs money. You need money. You know, why should I give you the money to go do that when we make this much and, you know, you've got all these other things. And so I, I had to, to argue, and this might be why I'm kind of a, I enjoy debate as much as I do, but you know, I, I did, I'd, I'd have to prove why I should be given the money to go out with my friends. And that's See, why I just had I, to earn it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have the, well, we lived in the suburbs, so I didn't have a lot of those opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I, so. uh, I can remember dumping a whole lot of wheelbarrow ro- loads full of rocks mm-hmm. out of the yard and yeah, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a little bit different. And the other thing was, is you absolutely didn't talk about money with anybody outside the family because, again, small town, stuff goes around. Yeah. You got family with an oil distributorship and a couple other businesses. Like, that's a big no-no. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if you can do this a few times in lower stakes, like coffee shop or you know going after the subwoofer, then it becomes sort of a natural way of doing things. And it's easier to pull off when you've got those higher stakes. Now, the next problem is something that doesn't sound like a problem, but it actually is in this context, and that is humility. Humility is a virtue, but taken to extremes, it can be destructive. Contextualized in the wrong place, it can be very destructive. It's also very easy to confuse a low sense of self-esteem with a desire to be humble. Those things get mixed for a lot of us, and we think, oh, I'm being humble. It's like, no, actually, you're not owning up to your own value. On the other side of it is the humble brag. Oh, yeah. You know, where it's, and, and a lot of times, like, I've been accused of, of humble bragging when I was trying to tell someone about something without bragging. Um, but of course, I've also been accused of being passive aggressive when I was trying to not be aggressive. So, you know, yeah. it, it, it comes off to some people like that. So it's like there's, there's this middle ground that you want to aim for. Yeah. And the thing is, is humility is a lot like talking about money. There's just contexts where it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to start working and getting in the habit of showing people what you're capable of, not in a you know bragging way, but in a way that's actually helpful to them. And that's how you overcome this. Speaking of overcoming things, the next thing we're going to talk about is overcoming information asymmetry. Yeah. And this is another one that you've got to do in advance um, because you don't want to ask questions while you're sitting in your boss's office discussing a raise. Unless you already know the answer to them. Like, yeah, there's there's the the Columbo method of asking for a raise. Yeah, where you ask a bunch of questions and then you walk out the door and then you turn back and go, uh, one more thing. Yeah, <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that show. <laughs> I know um, you reference it a lot. <laughs> yeah. So this stuff takes time, and you don't want to be scrambling around trying to get this information right before or during the process of asking for a raise. Like you just want to kind of be passively gathering that and then using it. You really should be doing this 
all the time um, because it doesn't just help you with salary negotiations. It helps you with vacation negotiations, with scheduling things, and just all sorts of areas. You want to bring in a new technology. You want to start using Angular on your front end. Well, knowing more information is going to help you make those arguments. Yeah. Whereas if you don't know information, you'll suggest stuff that is completely incorrect and makes you not look very intelligent. So on this, try to figure out what other people are paid without exactly asking them. Um, so one trick to do this is go find a salary survey like RHI just put theirs out. Glassdoor does it. There's a few other companies that do as well. And get that salary survey and show it to your coworkers and then gauge their reactions. Generally speaking, I've had the experience, and I think you have as well, that you look at those salary surveys and they are inflated, Mm -hmm. right? So your coworkers are going to react to that. They're going to be like, man, that's a lot higher than that doesn't sound realistic. That's, you know, that's too high. Now you know that it's higher than their salary. And you can also find out what other people are being paid by looking at what the salary will be for open positions in the same company or the same organization that you're in. So that's one of those things where, you know, management's hiring somebody. You can sometimes back channel your way towards finding out what the salary range is because you know somebody that might be perfect. Yeah, that's that's true. Or you can just look at the job posting for it. Yeah. Um, though I will say usually those are either a range or there's like the minimum salary for the position. But rarely do you have people come in at the minimum salary. Yeah. If you're coming into a new job, and we talked about this in salary negotiation a little bit, but uh, you know, when you're coming in, you're going to go for more than the minimum and right, usually wind up somewhere between the minimum and the maximum they're willing to, to spend on that. Yeah. But the worst thing is, is when you look and you go, the minimum for this job that is at my level or lower is more than what I'm getting paid. That does happen. Yes. Yeah. I've seen that one happen. Um And you need to know that for negotiating purposes. Now, Mm -hmm. you can also do what you were talking about and look at uh, public sector uh, records for salary. So this could be like government jobs, nonprofits, those kind of things where they have to post it. Mm -hmm. Now, in a lot of public sector organizations, the salaries are lower, but the total pay, you know, with benefits and stuff, you know. It balances itself out um, because I have looked at what I actually get my take-home pay, and then compared that with the benefits I have and looked at what the kind of average salary is and then the benefits that my friends tell me they have. And yep. yeah, it is it is pretty comparable when you, when you add the benefits into it. But the thing is, um, just the raw salary numbers there are going to be lower, more than likely. So if you show those numbers to your coworkers, you can also gauge their reaction and they go, wow, they're not getting paid much. Now you've established both ends of the range. You got to do this over yeah. a period of time, right? But that's that's one way to kind of back into that. That's that does work because then you see kind of you you get an idea because you're not going to get like the exact amount, but you'll know. All right, this is what they think is really high. This is what they think is really low. So it's somewhere kind of in that range. And if you are, you know, if you're above that range, then eh, maybe asking for a raise isn't the best idea right now, unless you can have other things to show your value. But if you're below that range, then definitely start looking at, all right, what else do I need to get in place? Finally, find out how the company is doing. You don't want to come in asking for a salary when the company is having a bad year or even a bad quarter. Um, yeah, you don't want to be asking for a raise when the 
or you, you do want to be asking for a raise when the company is doing well, as it makes it easier for everyone in the approval process to go ahead and approve it. They're not going to think as much about it and they're not going to resist as much. So that's the time to act. Figuring out the next steps that a company is taking can also let you develop skills ahead of the company needing them. So this makes it easier to get a promotion or a raise or even just transfer laterally into a better job. So, you know, if you're a front end developer that wants to start working on the back end and you find out, hey, the company is going to be going towards .NET Core as opposed to, you know, the regular .NET framework, then by learning that, you are putting yourself ahead of even the a lot of the average back end developers. Yeah. Because most of them are going to have their heads down. They're not going to be looking at, at, at all that other stuff. They're mm-hmm. just interested in the tech. And so this gets you around that problem. Now, the next problem you've got to figure out how to get around is the power differential. And this is kind of tricky. Um, your boss tells you what to do. That's why they're the boss. The opposite is not true. What do you mean by the opposite is not true? <laughs> you don't tell your boss what to do. For the most part, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like unless it's just like the last straw and you tell them to do something anatomically impossible as you walk out the door and they're not gonna do it. <laughs> so. Well you know, there there is that, but um it depends on the boss too, because sometimes the boss comes to you and says, Hey, you know, like that conversation that I had with my boss, uh, I think we talked about this in, in last week's episode, where it's like, hey, what could we have done better? Yeah, there's a difference, though, between advise and command. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm getting at. It's like, it, you, you got to know what that difference is. Um, yeah. And this thing makes it really tricky to, you know, when you've got to try to force a conversation about salary, you, you can't. And, you know, if the boss doesn't want to have that conversation, it's real easy for them to avoid it. And there's yeah. not a lot you can do about it. Yeah, this means that you need to be careful in how you frame your request for a raise. Uh, The best way to do it is to request a one-on-one about your goals and your career trajectory. In other words, you're going to be asking for advice. If you frame it that way, then it's easier to get to the next step because now it's framed as something that's advantageous for the boss to get right versus, oh, you raise the, the cost of this department. Well, this acknowledges the boss's power in that situation which will make them less likely to feel that they have to assert their power. Yeah. You know, it's weird how much, uh, you know, cause you've, you've got the psychological background. Like this is one of those things where we have like the higher mammal way mm-hmm. of doing things where it's like, if you make it obvious that somebody else is in power, they're not going to beat on you. And I mean, that's like yeah. a very upper primate type way of handling things. It's also a really good way to gauge whether it is appropriate to ask for a raise. And it can even serve as a way to have management justify to themselves giving you a raise. Yeah. And finally, don't try to assert your own power too much. This goes back to the primate thing that you were talking about. You could even ask, what could I do that would increase my value as an employee to the point where I could get a pay increase? So you're asking for their advice and you're, you're giving them back the power and saying, hey, help me get to the point where you want to give me a raise. Also, don't threaten to leave. They know you can. You know you can. Um, it's better to leave it unstated. Now, threatening is one thing. It's different if you come in and say, hey, I've got this job offer, but I would rather stay here. What can you offer me? Then you're not threatening. You're saying, hey, I've I'm going to take this other offer, but I'm giving you a chance to 
to counter offer. Yeah. Um, that said, counter offering is, you know, that's tricky to get right too, right? There's companies mm-hmm. that will, that will do that. They pay you a high, higher salary, but then you're on target for the next round of layoffs when those happen because you ticked them off. Um, now, but the other thing is with that, it may not be a higher salary that you go for. For example, a developer that I work with, his wife got a job back where they in um, another state where they come from. And so he had found a job and he came in to, to tell our boss that, hey, you know, I'm basically to give him his resignation. And uh, since we're mostly remote, he, he told me, like, we, we had lunch after this. And he said, yeah, I just I thought, you know what, I'm going to give him one chance because I really like working with you guys and I like working here. And so he's like, I, I went in with the, hey, I'm tendering my resignation because we're moving. But then he, he offered the, you know, unless you can let me work remote more often and not have to come in every week. And you know what the boss said? He's like, you do a really good job. I would rather you only come in once a month than have to hire someone new. Yeah. So these are those kind of things are really good for the non-salary aspect of it. Yeah. And the other thing, too, about the the threatening thing, just uh, you know, tapping that one again, is a lot of times threats work better when they're not stated. Well, the thing is, like, and, and in this situation, it wasn't a threat. Yeah. It was a, hey, you know, I've got to look out for myself. I'm going to do this. I'm giving you the opportunity to offer me something because I, I would like to stay, but I, the situation, you know, and so it's, it, it is a bit situational, but he didn't, I mean, I would not consider what he did threatening. Right. So the next thing is timing. You're going to want to time your discussion about pay raises so that management is in a good mood and it increases your odds of success. This means that you're going to want to avoid having this discussion just before or after a product release or other major stressful events in the company. Yeah. I mean, it may be that you've done something really awesome uh, as part of that product coming out and you're like, hey, the product is out. It's going to be really successful. Now's the time to ask for a pay raise. No, it's not. Waiting until that product has proven its success and you've gotten past the that initial, you know, oh, crap, we forgot about this phase yeah. with it where, where everyone's stressed about that. You, you want to do that. Wait till it's proven successful, even a short term proven successful. Then you go in and go, hey, you know, I put a lot of work and effort into this. I'm a real asset to the company and you go forward that way. You probably also want to avoid scheduling your meeting around other large distractions, such as board meetings, especially if your boss has their boss attending. Major holidays, are really bad. Uh, busy times of the year, tax season, if you're in sales, Black Friday, those kinds of things. Yeah. And try to figure out uh, what chronotype your boss is. This is like, are you a morning person or are you an evening person? And use that to your advantage. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be completely accurate, but just look, are they are they cranky when they come in first thing in the morning? Are they happy in the afternoon? Then you want your meeting to be in the afternoon. Or do they come in after having a, a- pot and a half of coffee and they're like all gung-ho and great. And then by the, by mid afternoon, they're just kind of worn down from just the drudgery of the day and the meetings they've had to go to, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta watch that. Yeah. Um, and on that, don't do it at a bad time for you either. If you're not a morning person, don't schedule it in the morning. Also, if traffic is an issue, you know, you have to deal with and varies because, you know, like Nashville? Nashville, you may, one day the traffic may be, you know, great and 
you get in, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes earlier than you have to be there. And then the next day, there's a wreck on the interstate or something like that happens, blocking four lanes of traffic. And, you know, you end up sitting in a moving van for six hours going between two exits. Not that that happened to me at all last month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you don't want to allow that variability to be the thing that messes you up. So, like, you don't want the meeting to be first thing after you get there Mm -hmm. because of that. Also, don't schedule it at a time or in a situation where you're likely to get interrupted. Right. So, you know, like uh, a good example for me would be uh, around the time my daughter's school has lunch because these goobers in the office let her call every time she's the least little bit uncomfortable. And it's like if I had a business meeting scheduled during then, that that's a disruption. Yeah. And your boss is going to be sitting there wondering how frequently this happens while you're not in his office asking for a raise. And we've also kind of already hit on this next one, which was be careful about your own chronotype. Me, I am a night person. Like I am at my best usually around six p.m. But yeah, and and you keep going till uh, like eleven oh eight p.m. when you send hangouts messages. <laughs> um, just looking. Um, <laughs> Actually, I, I I try to stop sending messages to you around eleven. I turn the phone face down. Okay, it doesn't matter. All right, good. Um, so so good. So you can start getting my three a.m. ones now. I'm I'm out for hours by the time you send a message. <laughs> Because um, I'm definitely much more of a morning person, although you used to be more of a morning person than you are now, if if I remember from college correctly. Or you, maybe yeah. you just were younger and it just didn't hurt so much. I have, well, you know what? I've always been a night person. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember you staying up late, but like I can remember you staying up to like two and then you got up at 630 and you were going. I get up at seven and I'm going. Yeah. Staying up to one. So I, I, it's, I don't sleep much. Um, also back in college, I used to take a lot of naps, like my ideal schedule. And this is, this is interesting. My ideal schedule is to get up around five or six in the morning, go till about two or three in the afternoon, take a nap for about an, about an hour or two, and then get up and go till. Yeah. I could totally do that, but you have to bear that in mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like for you, it would be really bad to schedule a meeting at two o'clock in the afternoon to discuss your future with the company and a possible raise because you're not going to be on point. No, that's that's very true. Uh, for me, it honestly, right after I got into the office would be the best because I've just ridden the bus in and drank a whole cup of coffee, so I'm like gung ho, ready to go at that yeah, point. Or eleven morning. o'clock at night, you know, when you've worn the boss down, and they're like, just give him a raise and leave me alone. <laughs> I, could, I could see you doing that too. That's, that is something I would do. Uh-huh. Uh, so, just just quick side story: when I was growing up, my parents there, you know, teenagers. They don't want to talk to their parents about things. And parents are always like, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. So I found a way to get to get around to this. I would go out with my friends and then I'd come home and I'd study. And around two in the morning, I'd come down to my parents' room to tell them I was going to bed and I'd want to talk to them and tell them about my day and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's kind of mean, but I bet it broke the habit, didn't it? Oh, it so did. <laughs> Oh, man. i got to watch this guy. So, from all of that, you need to do this at a time that is to your advantage. If you've taken on a larger role, that's a great time to ask. If you're a junior developer and you are helping to guide a team or you're, you're doing a lot of more senior work because you, you know, you've grown as a developer to be able to handle that, this is a good time to do it. 
when you've just finished a big project, also good. You just have to watch for like product releases around finishing those projects. It's also good to do it in advance of your annual review uh, with the goal of the raise happening during the review. Yeah, because managers, like they're getting all this stuff together for the review process. And if they know you want a raise and they want to give you a raise, that's when they're going to have that lined up. If they don't, I mean, they know you want a raise, but if they don't think you're going to agitate for it, they're not going to do that. So just make it where it's easy on them. So on that, and this doesn't quite fit in with any one of the the topics, but uh, we have performance plans where I work and there are certain goals that we have to hit. I have a separate document where I track that and I track not just those goals, but anytime I've gone beyond them. So one of, one of my goals for this year is to provide at least one dev chat or lunch and learn every two months. So I track every time I do one and I've, been doing one almost every month. They're like December, November timeframe was a little bit off. But the the goal is to show that I have not only done what I'm required to do, but gone above that. That's a good way to do it. And, you know, timing this kind of stuff with the review policy, like Mm -hmm. what you're doing is really helpful. If you've already got all that stuff and you go in with your review, you know, that timing will help. So finally, we're going to talk about how not to be stupid. And one of the things we've already discussed is don't threaten to quit. Even if you get a raise after threatening to quit, they'll see you as having one foot out the door and you'll be a primary target in the next round of layoffs. Uh, So on this, this is another brief story uh, that I heard from a friend of mine. Uh, This didn't happen to to him, but it happened to one of his coworkers where she was a senior developer and was the lowest paid person in the company because she'd been there so long. Like she'd been there for several years, like uh, five or 10 years and was the lowest paid person, like developer in the company. There were juniors making more than her because yeah. they gotten hired on after. And um, she started looking at other jobs. She was like, you know, I'm going to move on. And it got back to management that she was looking. And so they brought her in and promoted her and offered her a raise. Can happen that way. But like if you directly do it. Yeah, that, that's the thing. This, that was not a direct, I'm going to quit unless you give me a raise. That was a, I'm looking to better my circumstances. And in that's in the situation where it's, I'm looking to better my circumstances. It, it kind of has to do with your motivation behind it. But it's also in the management's perception. Yeah, and it's an opportunity for them, right? Yeah. Because they could be looking at it and going, hey, they want to better their circumstances. I need this thing done. Mm-hmm. Put those two things together. Yeah. And that's totally fine versus, okay, they've got a foot out the door and I got to pay extra to keep them until I can replace them. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's, it, it has to do with the perception of that. And that's why, like, I like the way that you use the word threaten in the outline because, like, what I perceive that is like, like with the other developer that I work with who was like, Hey, I've, I've got to do this for my life. And with this person um, that my friend told me about, it's one of those things where they weren't threatening. They were looking to advance themselves. Um, now on all of that, it's also bad to frame a negotiation in a way that sounds like a demand. Yes. No questions have a 50% chance of being no. Yeah. You, you really want to go for a gradient of options so that you get something. 
even if you don't get the thing that you were really, really targeting, get, you know, second choice. The next thing you have on here should go without saying, but unfortunately we have to say it. And that is do not go in without rehearsing. You know, you should be familiar with any KPIs being used to evaluate you. And you should know yours, especially off the top of your head. Yeah. And a KPI is a key performance indicator, by the way. Right. Yeah. Um, I just think about like whiteboarding interviews. We tell people not to go into an interview that has a whiteboard component without practicing. Um, There's a book about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's funny you should mention that. Yeah. And you also need to work through like any objections your manager may have and how you're going to counter them. Right. Like if you've been, you know, if you're kind of a typical cranky developer, if that comes up, how are you going to handle it? Exactly. Um, And one thing that you can do as someone who is a former cranky developer is to talk to someone maybe lower down in management, maybe like a lead or someone, you know, talk to them about, hey, you know, what can I do to, to prevent this? Or, hey, can you help me find ways to be less cranky and to come off as, as a better person and, and not be this way and then show marked improvement? Because this is what worked for me. I, I legitimately went to someone who was not that way and said, hey, can you help me? Can you guide me in this and help me to be less like this? And then when I was up for promotion, that person like put his neck out and said, Hey, you know, he's, he and I've been working together for the last several months and he has really made a lot of progress. Yeah. That's a very good way to approach it. Like it's really important to sincerely think about why you might not get a raise so that not getting it doesn't produce an emotional reaction. That's the other thing. If you don't have that emotional reaction, it's easy to revisit the thing later. If you didn't make a scene and start crying or get mad or whatever. Well, what you should do is go in with the expectation, especially if it's the first time you've asked for a raise, go in with the expectation that you're going to fail. Yeah. It's a learned skill. Yeah. And go, all right, when I don't get this raise, then I'm going to ask, hey, what could I have done better? Or yeah. what what can I do to improve myself that would make me worthy of a raise? Bingo. And speaking of you know self-improvement, don't go in looking sloppy. Now, I know, you know most of us have got jobs where we can be reasonably casual Mm -hmm. a lot of the time um you know i wear jeans and a t-shirt every day and i'm usually more casual than that but i work from home so yeah pajama pants (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the lack of details Uh, (laughs) but you know most of us are are like that development is that kind of job most places however um, when you're going in to have that discussion you probably should dress a little better than normal Especially if it's going to be a face-to-face discussion, you know, make that impression when you're in there. Yeah, you you want to show professionalism, but you also don't want to look like you're trying too hard because that kind of yeah. looks like desperation. Yeah. So, like, if you're in an office, you know, if you're in an office where you dress really super casual, wear a decent shirt, but don't like, you know, you may not go to the point of wearing a tie. Um, you know, that's kind of the idea there. Uh, you probably also don't want to do this with a hangover or poor sleep you know, from the night before either. So be prepared, you know, don't come in with bags under your eyes, exhausted looking. Don't have the raise as your only option. Sometimes company finances just don't allow for a raise or only allow for a tiny one. This goes back to the, you know, don't be black or white, yes or no. This is a really good opportunity to ask for other things that might be valuable. Like the story I told about the the developer that I work with, who what he needed was more remote work. 
He, he wasn't going in. He wasn't looking to leave because he needed more money. He was looking to leave because he needed to find somewhere close to where his wife was working. Yeah. And so and this, it's it, like asking for more responsibility, right? right? Like that's easy to pull off when the company is short on money because mm-hmm. they can't hire somebody responsible. Mm-hmm. Finally, don't cite personal circumstances as a reason for a raise. Oh, man. Dude, I worked with a guy that cited his wife's failing business expenses as a reason that he needed a raise. That was it. The company does not care about that. No. Your boss may care about you even deeply, but your personal circumstances are largely your choice and your problem. And that's the way it's going to be seen. And you don't want it to be the other way because then your company is going to be reaching into your personal life. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you're, you you want to keep some separation there, but also your boss may care about you personally and may, you know, want you to succeed and may, you know, feel bad that you're having issues, but they also have to think about the company side. You need yeah. to try to base the decision around the value that you provide to the company. Right. Just think about how your boss is going to have to justify this raise right. to their boss. You don't want to be a charity case. You want to be someone providing value. Guys, asking for a raise is challenging, but if you don't do it, it's very easy to end up being underpaid. There are a lot of things that you can do that can greatly increase your chances of success and reduce your odds of failure as well. So you might as well get on with it. Your cost of living goes up every year. So there is little point in waiting to have this discussion with management. You should always be charging more. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, this whole discussion really was about frame control. In other words, getting management into a frame where they agree with you. And this is a negotiating skill that you really need to have for every kind of conversation that you're going to have, every interaction that you have with other people. You need to figure out how to frame things in a way that works to your advantage. I mean, this is not a deception thing. This is a avoidance of emotional reactions thing. And just kind of take the same approach with everything. Even if you're negotiating a house, you're, you know, you're arguing with your spouse and look at it and try to figure out how to set up the appropriate frame ahead of time. You'll win a lot more things if you do that. That is pretty much all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.